long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the exact radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's how the book of Hebrews starts. What an epic start to this book. I don't know if you, you captured some of the poetry there, some of the, some of the power of those words. This reminds me of a movie I saw in the 70s. A long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? It starts like these powerful, powerful narratives. In fact, most scholars don't even think this was really a letter or a book. It actually is probably a recording of one of maybe the first TED Talks. That whoever the writer of the Hebrews, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but whoever the writer is, captures a powerful oration. It comes across as this, this masterful speech. And the point of the whole thing is Jesus. That's where we get to start today. I've been so excited to do this. I hope you guys are stoked by going through verse by verse the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, if you have a device, go ahead and start finding Hebrews. We're going we're gonna to be in this for, for a little while. And this particular book is so great because if, you're, if you've been following Jesus for a while, this book has some pretty, pretty powerful warnings for us. Warnings that we shouldn't just, you know, not worry about. These are warnings that are powerful, and they're going to make each of us that are following Jesus right now maybe a little uncomfortable. And, you know, sometimes we lean into those moments. When Scripture kind of gets to us that way, we don't just kind of shrug it off. Those are powerful moments where we have to say, God, what are you saying to me right now? So there's some powerful warnings. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is going to be a great book. If you are brand new to the Bible, if you're still kind of trying to figure this whole thing out, and this is a complex collection of 66 books. Can we just say that out loud? It's complex. If you're brand new to the Bible, this is going to really help you connect the dots. It's going to help you kind of connect all the different pieces and parts of the, of the Old Testament, which is the 39 books to the right of the Bible. Most of the Bible is the 39 books. And then into the New Testament and how it all kind of weaves together. How this whole story is, is a, a, a complete unanimous narrative leading us to the ultimate conclusion of Jesus Christ. 
So I'm glad you're here. I hope you're ready to learn. Uh, I know that many of you have reserved one of these here. I'll, I'll grab this. Uh, these journals, they, they had a, a shipping issue, so they're going to come in, I think, on Wednesday. So many of you, we, we've, we ordered a, a very limited supply, so I realize some of you are like, well, I don't have my journal yet. Don't worry, you're going to get that this week. So take copious notes uh, today on your, you know, your program when you came in. I'm giving you a hint there, or, or on your device, you can do that, and then transfer them in here next week, all right? So it's going to come in. Uh, they're, they're super powerful. But I'm so excited because we get to take a deep dive into what some have said is one of the more complex books of the New Testament. We're going to take a deep dive, so I encourage you to be reading along as we're going through this. In fact, I would even encourage you to, to read it all the way through, like start to finish, as if you're, you're kind of listening to a podcast, because some of these books, I think, really require us to, to kind of get the whole flow of what's happening. Sometimes we'll, we'll and maybe this is, I'm guilty of this too, we'll, we'll grab one scripture and we'll grab one verse and we'll kind of latch onto that. But sometimes it's good to, to read the whole thing through and kind of get a, a, an idea of what the, the writer's talking about. So I encourage you to do that. And again, let's, uh, let's pause here. We've prayed a few times today. Let's pray again and ask God to speak to all of our hearts through the scriptures today. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we're praying right now that your Holy Spirit would move and impact each of us as we move through the scriptures, as we hear from you. Father, speak to every heart here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're going to find, Jesus is the point. I got to tell you, when I first became a Christian, I think I was 15 years old, uh, and I, I really didn't know a lot about the Bible, honestly. My, my mom, you know, had us go to church, different various churches. We were in Assembly of God churches. We were in, uh, my, my whole Bauman family's all Catholic. And so we'd go to Catholic churches. And then, and then my mom, when she, she married my stepdad, some of you met him, uh, then they tried to find a compromise between, like, Assembly of God, which is maybe more on the charismatic side of things. Some of you may know some of those different movements in churches. Uh, we raised our hands a lot in the Assembly of God. So that's where I was used to. But then my stepdad was Lutheran. And so they were trying to find this middle ground. And I don't know if you guys have ever gone through that. Uh, some of you know more denominations than I do. But I remember thinking, you know, after I, after I became a Christian at 15, I got baptized right in the Yamhill River. I was given a gift and it was a study Bible, the first study Bible I'd ever seen, I'd ever held. And I got to tell you, uh, it, it was a pretty substantial study Bible. This is what it, this is right here. I can show you the date, 1989, right here. Uh, this was like the classic study Bible forever. Some of you even have one of these NIV study Bibles. Obviously, it's been through some stuff. And in fact, this week, I was kind of flipping through it and just looking at stuff that I highlighted. And like, wow, I was so immature. But uh, Stuff that I, the stuff that I wrote, in fact, at the beginning, this is super embarrassing. Do not, do not try to take this from me because there's even old prayer lists in here and stuff. But I remember, you know, getting this in my hands and I thought, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle this Bible. I'm going to know everything in this thing. And like many of us, where do we start in a book? Chapter 1, verse 1, Genesis chapter 1. I start marching through this puppy. And, uh, you know, the first three chapters, are, they make sense to me. There's, you know, okay, Adam and Eve, creation, it's all pretty cool. It's very grand. Yeah, you sit to chapter 4, and, like, brothers are killing each other. And then we get a little farther in the story. I'm like, what in the world do I have in my hands? But I, I kept plodding along. I thought, you know, I'll get through this. You know, maybe it's a little rough go of this. I get into Exodus. And, uh, 
and I meet this guy Moses. That's pretty cool. First couple chapters of Exodus, pretty good. But then you start getting into the conquests. And then we got to Leviticus and all the laws. Numbers. Who are these people? I can't even pronounce their names. And I bogged down. And many of you probably have maybe a similar story. And you're like, what is this, God? You give us this, this thing, and I don't even know what to do with it. There's just so much I don't understand, and there's cultures that I don't, I don't get. What are we supposed to do with this crazy thing? And, and I think then as now, I, I, I really did want to know. I wanted to know what it said. And, and many of you are, are probably maybe in that same camp, whether you're new to the Bible or you've been following Jesus for a while, you, know, you do want to get a good handle on what, what's God's word because it was his, his communication to us. You know, we, we, uh, we end the Old Testament with uh, a disturbing statement about a curse on the land. It's the, the very last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. It's one of the, the minor prophets, and, and, and he's, he's, he's trying to truth tell to Israel, get them back on track, but Israel just can't up and down with their relationship with God. And the, 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 the whole Old Testament ends with this idea of a cursing on the land. And so even if you made it all the way through the Old Testament, you may have gotten to that point, and you're like, that's not a very happy ending. We want things to be wrapped up in a nice package. That's how we like our stories. But the Old Testament ends with this statement of curse. And then, and then 400 years goes by, about 400 years. And the nation of Israel has been conquered a few times. It's barely even hanging on. You know, To say you're an Israelite might have been confusing even for the first century Romans. They're like, who are those people? The Romans conquered so many places, they probably didn't even know who these people were. And so this is a people that have been kind of, kind of tossed around and had this kind of dicey relationship with their God. They were supposed to be the nation of Israel, God's people. And yet here they are in the first century, 400 years since the last prophet spoke. And then, and then God does something powerful. And he finally puts on flesh and is born into humanity and gives ultimately the final word of it all. God himself comes on the scene and says, I'm going to just do this myself. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you myself. I'm going to take care of the sin issue. We're going to get this thing back on track. It was always God's plan. But again, for, for much of history, we were, just weren't sure what, what God was up to. And so we get to the book of Hebrews and let, let, let's lean into that one more time. Hopefully you've got that on your device now. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let's just pause there for a second. God spoke in many ways. Now, most of the time it was through prophets, like it says. But let's just pause for a second. Can you think of other ways that God spoke to people in the Bible? There's was, there was that bush moment with Moses right at the beginning of Exodus. God spoke through, like, plants. That's pretty crazy, a burning plant. God spoke in other ways. There was one moment where I think, like, a donkey talked. Kind of, you know, now I think that was, you know, God obviously enabled this donkey to talk. But, but God spoke in various ways. And, and, and some scholars think, you know, when you look at the New Testament, the way God is trying to communicate... There's a, there's a bit of a fractured economy. It's not complete yet. And so 
God is communicating through prophets and through the various different ways. And, and so Hebrews reminds us that God was speaking, albeit maybe in, in parts and pieces, not completely uh, you know, together yet. God was speaking. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has finally come himself and said, here's what's what. In Christ, all those fragmented parts and pieces and the various ways that God spoke come into fruition in Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, hey, this is the word of God. This is God. And he came to bring us the final word, God's final plan. He's going to wrap everything up together and it's all going to make sense in Christ. Now, every time you, you, you open the scriptures, no matter where you are in the Bible, I mean, we're in Hebrews. That's in the New Testament part of the Bible. It's 27 pieces of that, letters and, and, and history, things like this. Wherever you are in the Bible, there's always background, right? There's always context. I remember in Bible college, one of our professors would just say, context is king, Ben. It can never say what it never said. I remember the, the, my freshman year, I never understood what he meant by that. Now I get it, that what did it say in context? What is the context behind it? Because that makes a big difference. It's true even in journalism, right? The context makes a big difference. Just to pull someone's statement out in a conversation, maybe it's a half-hour conversation, you pull one word out, you can almost make them say anything, you know? Have you guys ever seen that, uh, that series, NFL Bad Lip Reading thing? They can even overdub you, and then it makes it look like you said stuff. If you've never seen that, it's, it's a good waste of time. But the context, if you need a good laugh, there you go. But the context matters. So the question is, and this is a big question when we come to the book of Hebrews. Again, this was probably someone who was well-skilled in, in public speaking, and probably, probably someone who, who did this a lot. The writer who, who wrote it. We don't know. If, uh, if some of you have a study Bible, that'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll see that in, in that study Bible. We're not really sure the actual writer. We do know that the early church, this was high on their list. So we know this is important. They always saw this as scripture, authoritative, but we're not sure who wrote it. Some people think maybe Paul wrote it. And uh, maybe there's some in the camp that think Paul wrote it. But you'll notice, usually when Paul writes something, he would say, hey, it's me. Or he would identify himself in some way. So no, the, the writer doesn't really identify who they are. And over, over the years, people have thought maybe it was one of Paul's friends. It might have been like Barnabas, who was one of the early disciples that kind of pulled uh, Paul, who was Saul then, pulled him into the, to the discipleship group. We thought maybe it's him, Barnabas. Other people think it's Apollos. And that, you know, that's a very, uh, you know, Greek Roman name who may have been someone who studied in first century oration and, and speaking. So we think it might have maybe been Apollos or, or someone else. We don't, we don't really know. But the point is, the early church, the apostle, the apostle community uh, held this as high. They knew this was scripture. Uh, and someday we'll get to ask, okay, God, solve the mystery. Which writer was it? And, and I have an opinion, but I'll share it with you some other time. <clears throat> and we know this was written in the first century. How do we know that? Well, it, obviously, this is when, uh, you know, the, the, the writing uh, happened. The early apostle uh, community knew that this was part of their beginning documents. Uh, and and it, clearly, they'd been Christians for a little while. 
Uh, so we know that it wasn't super early in the church, maybe, maybe a generation or two into the, into the whole Christian community. And we know by the style and that sort of thing that it's a first century document. I know this seems kind of like, you know, background, but just, just bear with me for a second. There's another clue in this book as we get going, and it's a big one. And if you know world history, you know that the Roman Empire sort of cracked down on the Jewish culture and in Israel around 70 AD. That's kind of a big date. It's a historical date. Uh, there was uh, a, a pretty big crackdown by the Roman government on the Jewish people, and that culminated in the destruction of the Jewish temple. And so we do know that that happened in 70 AD. It's clear that the writer either doesn't know that or it hasn't happened yet, so likely it's a little bit before 70 AD. But that's kind of one of those big markers that we know. And it's, it could be that, you know, it was 70 AD and the news hadn't reached where, where the writer was at. So we know it was first century, the, the sacrificial system was still going on. There's a good chance that the emperor at the time is a guy named Nero. And not a, not a nice guy, historically. And uh, he's a guy that liked to blame a lot of stuff on people and not a, not a swell guy. But the question is, why was it written? Well, as we read through this, you're going to be able to see that the people are wavering. And it could be that, you know, maybe they're second or, or maybe second generation Christians and persecution is starting to happen. You know, Christianity is starting to get on the radar for the Roman government. And they're like, well, these are kind of like, you know, Jewish people, but they're kind of different. They're talking about this Jesus guy. So there, there begins to be this persecution. And so people are starting to think, well, maybe, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe, maybe following Jesus isn't worth it. Maybe we just kind of go back to our kind of our comfortable, you know, Jewish roots. We'll go back to the synagogue. We'll, we'll be good boys and girls. We won't, we won't talk about this Jesus guy anymore. So that's what's going on here. So the writer's trying to encourage them, don't do that because Jesus is everything. It's the culmination of everything we've been waiting for. Don't, don't go back. So we do know that they're Christians, but they were probably had a background as Jewish people. And so they were Hebrew Christians or, 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 or Jewish Christians. And, and, the, and the writer's going to try to say, hey, don't, don't go back. It would be a silly thing to go back after all we've learned. And there's some scholars that think that the, the people that this writer was writing to might have been of the priesthood. In fact, they think that maybe the writer was somewhere in Italy writing this letter back to house churches in and around Jerusalem. And some of these were former priests that had discovered Jesus and started following Jesus, but they had kind of a strong pull back to their, their Jewish comrades. And so they think maybe this writer was writing to them to encourage them, don't go back on everything that we have learned. Don't do it. And I think as you get through this and you start reading this, you're, you're going to be able to see how masterfully this book is, is, is laid out. And it's, it's got poetry, it's got narrative, it's got history, it's got encouragement, it's got warnings. And so it's kind of got, got everything. God spoke in many ways and in various ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son. The scriptures tell us in John 1 that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. 
The word became flesh, John 1.14, and walked among us. We have seen him. We're witnesses to him. You see, the difference is, I mean, back in the day, the, the prophets gave the word. You know, they were, they were spokesmen for God, right? And much of the prophets, a lot of their material was, hey, Israel, get back on track. You know, you're off track. People sometimes think of the prophets as they're, they're always like foretelling history, you know, what the future's going to be. You know, they're like Nostradamus or something like that. But most of what the prophets did was call people back to God. And, and those prophets gave the word, but the difference is Jesus is the word. Do you see the, the difference? They were, they were giving the word, but Jesus is the word. Like, he is the embodiment of what God wants to say to us. He is superior, period. 400 years, the people of the Jewish nation hadn't heard from God. And when Jesus came into the scene, God himself said, here I am, Israel. And many of them rejected him. You know how that story played out. We, we talk about it every Easter. The Jewish nation largely said, you're not who we were hoping for. You're not what we were thinking. But Jesus was and is the word. 400 years, then Jesus shows up. God didn't hold back. He literally becomes flesh, dwells among us. And we're told in that beginning four, four verses, remember that? Open that up again. He is a number of things. He's the heir of all things. He's the king of kings. He's the creator. He's the exact radiance of the glory of God. He's the upholder of the universe. He is the purifier of all sin. He is better and more superior than any prophet or angel for all of those reasons and more. A few years ago, uh, Tim Keller in a, in a speech, he said this, and I want to read this to you uh, word, by, word for word here. He said this, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the truer and better Abel, though innocently slain, has blood now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Adam who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but truly was sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the truer and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, 
who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lift a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death would pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true, true bread. Ultimately, we discover that the Bible's really not about us. It's about him. Jesus is all of those things. So here's the challenge. You know, we're just kicking this, this series off. This is the day one, episode one. But I want to encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews a couple times. You know, if you can, some of you are, are, are more audible. You like to listen to the Bible rather than read it. But I encourage you to try to listen to the whole thing from, from start to finish. And see what God says, how he speaks to you. I believe that God's word always accomplishes what, what God intended. And I think God wants to do something in your life, in my life, in the next several weeks as we go through this. And so I encourage you to dive deeper. Dive deep into this study. This is a beautiful study to do. In your devotional time, I want to encourage you by this. I mean, summer's a great time to kind of maybe figure out a rhythm. If you don't have a rhythm of time with the Lord, this, this could be a good time where you spend a little extra time figuring out what's your rhythm, time from scripture, time for prayer. I want to encourage you to do these things. The first thing is read, reflect, be silent, talk with God, and last but not least, listen. The listening piece is sometimes hard for us, but that's a key part of it. Silence and listening to what God wants to tell us. Start with Hebrews. Use your journal if you're going to get that this week. Really dive deep into each word. There's so much in this book that we'll never be able to talk about on a Sunday morning for a half hour. There's just no way. I realized as I was studying for this, like there's no way we can cover every word that's just got so many gems to it. We'll get there a few, a few places, but spend some time in the Lord. Read, reflect, be silent, talk with God, listen. I like what the Bible Project said they, in, in looking at this. In fact, again, that's a great resource for some of you that never maybe discovered the Bible Project. Some guys out of Portland that have done a great job of, of kind of mapping out and helping you understand Scripture. Uh, they, they have a whole thing on Hebrews that I, I highly recommend. But uh, what they say about this particular book, because uh, remember, Hebrews is going to try to take really the whole story from cover to cover and show us how, how it all fits together and how Jesus is kind of the, the crowning uh, part of it all, the, the crux, the, the final word. So we're going to look at a lot of Old Testament. So you'll notice as you start reading through Hebrews, there's going to be, a, depending on the Bible that you have, it might have little notations here and there about, hey, this is in the Old Testament in this location. And so the Bible Project, I love what these guys said, hey, whenever you run into an Old Testament quote when you're reading through the Hebrews, pause and go look that up, Right? 
and try to, try to kind of get a little bit of the context there, then come back to Hebrews. So whenever you see an Old Testament reference, and it might be in a different paragraph format, depending on the uh, version of the Bible you have, it should give you a little notation. Pause, go look at that in the Old Testament, look it up, and then come back. And then, and as I said before, and especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, there are some warnings in this book that I don't think we want to just, just kind of push aside. And so if you've been following Jesus for a while, those warnings, lean into them. Lean into those warnings. Really, really lean in. And if they make you uncomfortable, that's a good time to pause and pray. Like, God, this is, this is speaking to me right now. This is hitting me. So there's at least four warnings. There are arguably five. So, so really pay attention to those warnings. And overall in this series, I want us all to come out of this. Spoiler alert with being amazed by the betterness of Jesus. Being amazed by the betterness of Jesus. I don't know if betterness is actually a word, but I'm going to make it up today. Be amazed by the betterness of Jesus. Of all the systems and of all the religions and of all the different ways people have tried to approach God and make God happy and somehow appease the gods, Jesus is superior to it all. And so we're going to see that. So be, be ready to be amazed by the betterness of Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the prophet we're going to find in this book. He's the prophet, the true prophet, bringing God's word. He is the priest who made atonement for sin, all sin, once and for all. He's the prophet, he's the priest, but he's also the king. He's enthroned on majesty, and he's the creator of all things. He's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. In Christ, we are made complete. And that's what the writer wants us to understand, and that's where we're going to hit every week. So I encourage you to, to make plans to, to be here for every episode. And uh, I, I think God's going to enrich your life. He's going to enrich my life. He's already been doing it. Make plans. And if there's people that you know in your life that could really use kind of some, some primer on how the whole Bible kind of works together, this is a great, a great study for that. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. The fact that you are prophet and priest and king. And in Christ, we are made complete. Father, help us to lean into the scriptures and, and, and may, may, may our hearts be changed and challenged by this. And Lord, uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take some time and, and uh, we're going to play some songs uh, of worship. And so I encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, we do this every Sunday. Whenever we gather, we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Remember our priest took care of our sin once and for all. And so if you're a follower of Christ, I encourage you to come forward. There's some, some bread and some juice. You can dip the bread in the juice. It reminds us of his broken body and his blood that was shed for us. So I encourage you to do that as we sing. And, uh, and there's also a place to extend your worship through giving. So there's some, some places to give here, some giving boxes. That's just a little sacrifice that we get to make, kind of in honor of the, the great sacrifice. And so I'm going to pray for us once more. But if you heard anything today that is just tugging on your heart, Reach out to us, you know, Facebook, please do that through our website. Uh, reach out to us. Come talk to any of us on stage. If there's something that God is stirring in your heart uh, through even what we talked about today, uh, listen to that. Lean into that voice. Let's, let's pray right now as we thank God for his sacrifice. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the mercy and grace offered at the cross. And so, Lord, once again, like every Sunday, we recognize the broken body and the blood that was shed for us on the cross. Thank you so much for your love for us displayed there in Jesus' name. Amen.